Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being much more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 165. It's a bit shorter than normal. I'm just doing a brief little episode on Tudor Easter celebrations. Because I realized that that's a missing in the catalog of episodes that I have done. I have never done a Tudor Easter one. So here we are. But first, a reminder that the Intelligence Speech Conference is coming up. It's on April 24th. It's a day-long event with some of your favorite podcasters, like me. (laughs) No, you guys, seriously. I get such little goosebumps all over my arms when I see my name there with David Crowther and other podcasting gods, right? Um, So you can learn more about the Intelligence Speech Conference. It's a a whole day long of talks from leading podcasters, not just history, um, all kinds of subjects, some very, very interesting people. Basically, I, I think the tagline is something like clever people talk about interesting things or something like that. And that's kind of what it is. So you can check it out, intelligencespeechconference.com. And because you are a valued listener of the Renaissance English History Podcast, if you enter the code TUTOR when you check out, you will receive 10% off of your ticket. So if you want to spend a day learning about interesting things from clever people, um, check out the Intelligence Speech Conference. And then further afield is TutorCon. TutorCon is still happening. I'm so excited, you guys. Like, I so wasn't even sure back in January. It was like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? It's going to happen. So October 1st through 3rd in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I have to say there are very few places in the autumn more beautiful than Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. You know, the leaves are starting to turn and the shadows and the light is like golden yellow and hangs low. and Then we will be meeting for three days, October 1st through 3rd. I said that already. Um, In this beautiful 1790s bank barn that's literally across the parking lot from the Renaissance, the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. And it starts on Friday night, October 1st, with a welcome party. There will be period entertainment, um, bands. You can come in costume. There will be food and games, all kinds of fun stuff. Then on the 2nd, we will start with uh, 
there will be a continental breakfast starting around nine o'clock in the morning. And then at around 10, the talks will start. The talks will go until four with a break for lunch. And then in the evening, we're going to make our way into downtown Lancaster um, to a church where we will have entertainment. There's going to be some musical entertainment. Hopefully, we'll be able to get the cook-along going that was supposed to happen this past year, but we were all online. So we'll get that going. So entertainment, and then we can leave our car in the church. It's a church parking lot. We'll be able to leave our cars in the church parking lot. And dinner will be on your own in Lancaster on Saturday evening. Um, We're right downtown, so there's lots of great restaurants around. And then Sunday, we start again with breakfast at nine in the morning. We have talks in the morning, and then we will be having our feast in the private feasting grounds of the Renaissance Fair with some entertainment provided by the Renaissance Fair. And then we will be able to go to the Renaissance Fair afterwards. How many times can I say Renaissance Fair? in one sentence. Um, But the tickets to the Renaissance Fair are included. So we'll be able to go. I think they're open until eight on that evening. Yeah. And then we'll go home with lots of memories, having learned a lot of new things, having met some amazing friends. But the thing is, you guys, I only have like 10 tickets left. Um, I think it's 11 right now. There's a chance they're checking with the fire marshal. There's a very small chance I might be able to have another 10 at some point, but I can't guarantee that. And I don't know. So if you want to come to TudorCon, if you don't want to have FOMO, you need to get your tickets. EnglandCast.com slash TudorCon 2021 will be your place to get your TudorCon tickets. And it's going to be so much fun. I hope to see you there. All right. Easter. It's Easter week which here in southern Spain, where I live, normally means a week of processions and parades and some very loud music from like horns. And it's just amazing, um, the, the Holy Week processions here. The entire town smells like incense. But of course, it hasn't been like that for the past two years because of this small thing called the pandemic. But those ancient celebrations remind me of what Easter would have been like for our Tudor friends. Of course, one big difference to how Catholic Spain and Tudor England would have celebrated is actually just in the name Easter. The Venerable Bede wrote in the 8th century that the name Easter derived from Oster, or Ostre, the Anglo-Saxon goddess of spring and fertility. Also, England had that whole bit going on with the Reformation. You know, there was just that minor event that happened in the middle of the century. So Easter in 1600 actually looked quite different in much of the country than Easter in 1500 would have looked. But there are some rituals that stayed consistent. There are some rituals that would have gone on even after they were banned in other parts of the country. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. A little quick guide, a quick overview as to how our Tudor friends would have commemorated Eastertide. Of course, Easter is at the end of Lent. You can't really talk about Easter without talking about Lent. And that was the period of fasting and meditation on sacrifice and on loss, which coincided beautifully with perhaps the hungriest period of the year before all the summer fruits are available and when meat from the animals slaughtered in the autumn is running low. And it's still many months before grain harvest. There's also a lot of work that needs to be done to get the fields ready for planting and that's all done on an empty stomach. So, you know, it's, it's one of these ways that the early church 
capitalized on pagan rituals and even just on on the year itself and on the seasonality that the time of fasting and meditation on sacrifice and and all of that coincides just so perfectly with the hungriest time of year which would have been late winter early spring so these days many of us give up something for lent like chocolate or meat just as a way of kind of keeping that ritual of fasting and sacrifice front of mind as we enter this period of the resurrection, which is the holiest celebration for Christians, for whom the entire religion is based on this resurrection of Christ. And of course, now we do that voluntarily, giving up chocolate or meat or whatever it is. My daughter said this year she was going to give up broccoli for Lent. I said, no, that doesn't count. Um, you want to give up broccoli anyway. He's very clever. So the Lent fast lasted for about six weeks, 40 days. It began on Shrovetide. I grew up in Amish country in Pennsylvania. And even in that area that's so highly influenced by Lutherans and Anabaptists, we still had Fasnacht Day where we ate fried donuts covered in sugar on Shrove Tuesday. In a lot of places, they call it Fat Tuesday. Pancake Day is something I've heard. So this idea of having this last day of celebration, um, Mardi Gras happens around that time as well. This period of celebration before Lent is something that has stayed with us. And our Tudor friends certainly would have indulged in the same way. They would have eaten some of the last stores of food before the fasting season began. During Lent, people were forbidden from eating meat and eggs and cheese. So during the Shrovetide period, um, people would often eat up all of that food that wasn't going to keep until Easter. They also would have had plays and music and masks and even games that we would consider very, very cruel today. Um, There was one where they buried a chicken up to its neck, then blindfolded people And people got to take turns throwing stones at the chicken to see who could kill it first. Um, Like pin the tail on the donkey, only much worse. Much, much worse. Once Lent began, though, things calmed down. There was a lot of stuff that was forbidden, including a lot of the foods that I talked about and even sex. So if there were any babies born around the beginning of the year, Christmas time, that was suspicious. Churches were decorated in different ways, too. Sometimes you would hide the lectern under various cloths to symbolize the mystery and the hidden nature of salvation. After the 40 days of Lent, you have Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, when the story of Christ's entrance into Jerusalem was told in church, and then bunches of greens were blessed and used in a procession that would happen after the service. Of course, here in Spain, we use actual palm branches, but in England, they didn't have palm trees, so they just would have used whatever was available locally, like yew or willow, and it would have been blessed by a priest. The crosses were seen as a protection against evil, and there would be a big parade through the church and around the church. Later on in Holy Week, you have Holy Thursday, also called Maundy Thursday, which commemorates the Last Supper. In the Tudor period, this day was spent cleaning the church, spring cleaning the church. People would go to confession, they would take communion, and some may have even participated in the ritualistic washing of the feet on this day. This, of course, commemorates Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Maundy Thursday 
is the start of the three holiest days of the Christian year. We have Jesus going to Gethsemane, going before Pontius Pilate, and then to the cross. And even in many churches today, you'll find the altar dressed in black to commemorate this journey of sacrifice. On Friday, people participated in the creeping of the cross. Clergy would go on their hands and knees to a crucifix and prostrate themselves before it. And then the cross would move and the regular congregation could follow suit and do the same thing. There was another tradition called the blessing of the rings. And this went all the way up until Mary I with the Catholic rulers. Um, The Catholic monarchs would have rings in their royal hands and they would bless them and ask God to infuse them with healing before they would give them out to people who needed them. They were known as cramp rings because they could supposedly cure cramps and epilepsy. They were blessed by the king or queen and then sprinkled with holy water before they would give them out from the chapel of St. James on Good Friday. This practice was ended by Elizabeth I, um, which makes sense, but it's kind of a fun practice, I would think. Then we get into my very favorite service, the Great Easter Vigil or the Paschal Service. In church, there would be an image of Christ and the consecrated host and something to represent the tomb of Christ covered with a cloth, represents the ceiling of the tomb of Christ. Members of the congregation would watch over it and would take care of the candles surrounding it. And in Anglican services today, you gather outside at dusk with the candle that comes from the new fire that's lit, representing the light of the risen Christ. And this service is probably the closest, if you go to a Paschal service at an Anglican or an Episcopalian church today, this is probably the closest service, modern service, to the mysticism and ritual that pre-Reformation Christians would have experienced. It's steeped in this history and ritual, which is one of the reasons I love Paschal service so, so very much. The Paschal candle's lit, everyone takes a light for their own candles. From that main light, then there's the sprinkling of holy water, there's incense, and because it's a meditative service, there isn't much light. Your senses are just filled with the smells and the sounds of the chanting and the sight of the altar wrapped in black. And um, it's just a very special service. And it's the same sort of service that our Tudor friends would have experienced on the Saturday before Easter. And it's at the end of that service that the resurrection is celebrated. And the word Alleluia is said for the first time since Lent. So the first time in the new calendar of the church, you say Alleluia. Easter Day service ended in Lent. Celebrations could start. You could eat meat. OMG, chocolate for the win. Though you didn't have hot cross buns in Easter in England until the 18th century. So that is a more modern invention. During the Reformation, the creeping of the cross, the blessing of the greenery, the Easter, Paschal, sepulchre services were banned, though Easter would continue to be celebrated, of course, just in a less ritualistic way, though, as I shared with my own experiences, there's still some of that ritual that has remained intact. Easter Monday was a time for people to party. You could show off your new clothes if you had them. You would play some sports. You would attend some fairs. And generally, this was a time, if the weather was good, to move back outside. Winter was a period where people went inside. And because most people lived in homes, 
that weren't big enough to accommodate guests or, um, you know, weren't big enough to have people come over. It was a time where you didn't have a lot of social life because most socializing was done outside. And if the weather was bad in winter and it got dark at four o'clock in the afternoon, um, it's not, you're not really going to be outside enjoying social life. So this Monday after Easter, people would be outside partying. It was almost like the beginning of, of the social life come back and people were looking forward to the summer and the fairs and everything that would happen with that. And it was kind of like this, this metaphorical rebirth, of course, with the celebration of the resurrection, but also this rebirth of light and greenery and even coming back out and having friends and coming back into the world after this winter of hibernation and of just being quiet in your own home. So, beautiful way to spend Easter. And I hope that whether you are celebrating Easter in a religious way or a strictly painting Easter egg sort of way, or you're not celebrating at all, I would say that if you would like to channel a little bit of that Tudor energy, that Tudor history into your weekend, um, maybe just having a quiet moment and meditating on your own rebirth and renewal and this period, this season of light, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, um, this season of renewal, the, the blossoms, the trees, the greenery. Um, just taking some time to appreciate that and maybe get together with some other vaccinated friends outside and, uh, you know, have your own little celebration of coming back into the social life, which I think we all need right now. Would you not agree? I think we do. So that's it for this week. The book recommendation is Pleasures and Pastimes in Tudor England by Alison Sim. And I will have a link to purchase in the show notes at englandcast.com slash Easter. Let me know what you thought about this episode. As always, you can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016-TESCO. Or you can join the new Tudor Learning Circle, which is a free social network just for Tudor history nerds. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you are having a joyful, bright, light spring and um, that you have a joyful weekend no matter what you're doing. I'm going to leave you with a trailer for another podcast that I think you might really love that I just discovered, The History of North America. Mark has very kindly sent me a little trailer promo of his podcast. I'm going to leave you with that. You should check that out if you are at all interested in the history of North America. Um, and I will be back again in another couple of weeks. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants. Heroes, Villains, Leaders, Environment, and Geography. The History of North America podcast series is an incredible historical adventure that chronicles the thrilling, action-packed tale of a continent. I invite you to come along for the ride. <laughs>